Amen. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you. It's awfully wonderful this morning to hear your voice and worship. The Lord is indeed good to us. It has been my privilege on just a couple of brief occasions, I'm talking days, not weeks, uh, to teach in Honduras. Both times I was able to uh, teach uh, local uh, pastors or pastors at one time from the hillside uh, of Honduras and um, they uh, brought them there at some expense and uh, housed them in the capital of Tegucigalpa. I remember uh, encountering several sort of cultural shocks along the way and I won't enumerate them but they were eye-opening and, and uh, humbling. One particular was um, uh, is on my mind this morning as we talk about this text from Romans chapter 5, which uses, uh, and it's often overlooked in translations, strangely, the word boast. Uh, there in Honduras, uh, they said that converts to Christianity had difficulty, young men especially, because there was a certain sort of custom uh, that was expected of them. Uh, in fact, in, in several places where they worked, the understanding was when they gathered their check, their pay for that week, they would go first to the bar. And they would spend a substantial more uh, amount of money, frankly, more than they could afford. Strangely, that became a sign of honor. It's as if though they didn't spend enough in this setting to gain status among the other men in the community. They would be looked down upon, even though they spent too much money on such occasions and frequently didn't have enough of their paycheck left when they went home. It was looked upon as kind of an extravagance that some people judged it and so on. And anyway, this was a dilemma that some of the pastors had. How can their young converts, young men converting to Christianity, how can they stand or tolerate that loss of status? It was as if though they were surrendering their manhood and their status in the community among other men. It was one of my first pastoral dilemmas around the notion of shame and honor, or at least one of the first ones I understood to be about shame and honor. And uh, you might know that uh, we categorize cultures as shame and honor and so on. In our culture, we typically talk about moral motivation as something that we as individuals have internally. We have a sense of wrong or right, and we act deliberately upon that, uh, that sense of uh, conviction we have internally. We describe ourselves as sort of independent agents uh, in many places in the world. And I think, strangely enough, the Bible shares in this mindset uh, motivation is more about our status in the eyes of others. In other words, there's just so much honor and shame to go around, and it's like a scale. And if you suffer shame, you lose honor, and if you get honor, you, well, exceed in honor. And so when you do what the community expects you to do, and uh, you look good in their eyes, you meet the standard that they set, then you have maintained or you have established for yourself honor. When you fail to do what they expect you to do, you have this great shame. And you lose status. In many cultures, they say it is losing face. Now, it may sound strange to you, but, you, you know, we do have that expression still in English, to lose face, right? To save face. 
And my word to you would be that in this strange kind of environment where I realized the cultural kind of uh, fabric was there, I had to explore with those pastors what it would mean to ask a person to convert to Christianity. It would be a world-changing sort of step, as it rightly ought to be, right? But there it couldn't be missed. You would have to, in effect, say, I am no longer going to award, uh, for example, the men in this town to judge me, and I'm not going to measure myself if I've met their expectation. I'd have to instead set my focus on serving and making distinction and achieving status in the eyes of someone else. I would never entrust myself to be measured and to even measure myself, right? Allow myself to be measured by the standards of people who don't feel like I feel anymore. And when I become a Christian, I have a new audience. And I frankly shut the door on some old way of a sort of evaluating where I fit on the hierarchical scale. I have now a new standard. I have now a new scale, and I appeal to other people, and I want their approval. I want them to see that I'm living up to my new standard. And as we explored what this conversion would look like, it was a setting aside of old schemes of honor and embracing new schemes of honor and I think that's very much within the passage that we read today. Some of your translations don't capture this idea, but this word boast is prominent in the passage. And um, we're a little leery about boasting, right? We've been told that being braggadocious is not the right thing and so on. And, and so we try to maybe um, capture it in other words, maybe to take joy or, or, or to take great satisfaction or uh, that doesn't quite do it, though. And, and some say maybe uh, the, the word celebration gets the idea because there we're not just enjoying it or, or whatever, but we're, we're kind of acclaiming it and celebrating it. And I'll woodenly insert the word boast here a time or two as we read to try to capture what now is different in Paul's mind, how Paul's heart is, is different, how his vision of life is different, how his whole scheme of shame and honor is different, how everything now has changed for him since he's become the recipient of the grace of God. It is a beautiful Trinitarian text. There's no getting around it. This is the Father who has in the right time sent the Son, and now the Son uh, has done His work, and now the Spirit is pouring the love of God into our hearts. It is unmistakably Trinitarian. And I wish for you, if you would, to read with me, follow along as I read for you uh, this text, and think about Paul's new vis vision of life, about his new standard of being measured, about his new criteria, about the new people he's appealing to, and the new Lord he wants to well serve and honor. From Romans, the fifth chapter, starting with verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast 
in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also, if I could crudely, we boast even in our sufferings. Because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, uh, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more will we be, saved, we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. And may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Well, dear ones, these are many uh, verses that you are familiar with, and perhaps that verse 8 you have memorized as a child along the way, or in Bible school, or, or um, maybe uh, even part of the extended Romans road. And let me just ask you, to hear this text with a fresh new voice around this notion of boasting. It begins this way. Paul now thinks he has a new standing in Christ. And that first verse suggests this. He has now received a justification. Most of us know that is a legal term, but often I think it functions in Paul's thinking as kind of a communal term. Those of us who now have this right standing and liberty before God are now part of the people of God. And that's what it means to be part of the people of God, to have been justified. It, is very, it resonates very much with the old notion of reconciliation, a key idea in this passage as well. And it's through this Jesus Christ we have now come to this new place, a new place, a place of grace. And we stand now in this fundamentally new place. We were not there before, but we are there now because of the grace of Jesus Christ. We've appropriated that grace through the faith that Paul has called upon and calls upon each believer to extend to Jesus Christ. And now in verse 2, in light of this new place, he says that we boast, we Christians boast, we're, what we're proud about, what we put our kind of destiny and our status on, that, that thing that we prize, that thing that sort of, well, it, it is our sort of status in the world and, and that, that matters to us, this thing that we boast about is nothing less than the glory of God, the hope and destiny we now have because of the glory of God. 
the ideas of glory and, and boasting are, 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 are intertwined. And you would notice in some of your translations, those terms go back and forth, boasting and glory. And sure enough, this is an important idea in Paul's text here, but also in the text of the letter of Romans. Most of you, I mentioned Romans Road before, but most of you remembering the Romans Road might remember something like this, that there's this occasion where we sin and what we lose out on when we begin to share in sin and we break our covenant with God, we break our way with God and we go our own way. What we lose out on, among other things, is we look, lose out on the glory that belongs to God that He intended to share with us. He intended us to live in concert with Him and to share in that glory, and the way we would live with Him would give Him more glory. And that destiny that we were created for, we have forfeited, and we have traced the steps of our human fathers and mothers, Adam and Eve, all along, and we have now lost our grip and our capacity. Paul envisions us here as helpless. We can't just fix this on our own. And even greater the news then, when we learn that God has taken the steps to repair what you and I destroyed, and now there's this hope that we again can share and see one day God in His glory, and that we can, well, receive and share in that fellowship. And in the way we live now, not just the destiny that we'll someday have, but the way we live now, we can actually give honor and tribute to that God who deserves glory. And that's now our new measure. That's now our new status. And when I do well by that, I'm going to count on Christian brothers and sisters and mostly the Lord himself to be pleased with that and that's my new audience that's my new direction that's my new barometer I won't be judged by the standard of the community where I was raised I will now be judged by the measure of the glory of God the grace I've seen the God the Father pour out through his son and so Paul says, that's what I'm boasting in. That's what we should boast in. We boast in the hope, this sure confidence we have about one day bearing witness to the glory of God. But in the meantime, we bear witness to the glory of God by the way we honor that glory. And we can share in that wonderful destiny that God has for us. He goes on. He's not just boasting about this great hope about the glory of God, but he's also boasting, strangely enough, it seems to us, in sufferings. Boasting in sufferings. Wow, that sounds sort of counterintuitive. I think it did in Paul's day as well. Most of the time, we start off kind of crudely with our relationship with God and sometimes we start out kind of in a way almost insultingly by bargaining but that's the way we begin in faith feeble and broken so I've known people who've started their journey in faith in foxhole 
And it wasn't grand and glorious and spiritual sounding. It was a scream inside from their soul saying, God, if you'll ever get me out of this mess, right? I'll, I'll pay attention to you from here on out, right? We start sometimes in the most unflattering of ways, worried about us and, and engineering what we think would be good for us. But when we get drawn into this love of God, we end up doing things for God we would never dream of. We don't just seek God because we think He can facilitate our comfort, that He's like a stylish coordinator. He can give us the accessories that we still lack, but that we would benefit from, right? That we've got it mostly together, but if, he, if we could just trust God to do this and this and just help me this and help me that or help me with my family. And people start their way with God sometimes for the most selfish of, of kind of reasons, all self-interested. And, and by the way, I, I don't blame you for starting that, that. That's where we start in our brokenness. But once we begin to see who God is in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, I've seen people who start selfishly in faith, being so enamored by God and the glory of God and being drawn into the glory of God that they would do anything for God, and they would even suffer. Most schemes about honor and suffering don't take this into account. And uh, when you suffer uh, an embarrassment or you suffer a shame, uh, when your leader gets crucified and so on, your stock goes down and, and there's just nothing you can do about it, right? There's no rebuilding. But it's not this way in faith. Here, Paul is even boasting that he has the privilege now to suffer for the sake of Christ. And he doesn't do this hopelessly like suffering is just going to diminish me and that's all that's left of me. But instead, knowing now the way grace works, knowing that God has entered the brokenness of this world and healed this world through the brokenness that Christ took on the brokenness of the world unto himself, and he can see the love of God displayed in Christ, and he can see a sense of hope and destiny that what the world counts as nothing God has shown to be the hope of the world. And so many now are given the discernment to see it through the eyes of faith. And they grasp hope to Jesus. And now he says, oh yeah, I, I, I boast now when I think about the privilege of suffering. Because he's sure of this, that suffering doesn't spell the end. But like in the story of Jesus, Suffering born in faith toward this God of grace and mercy is going to be at work in us. And it'll produce a kind of a stubbornness and a stick to on our part that responds to God's own stubbornness and love. And then eventually it's going to create in us a, a, a character. And uh, then eventually it's going to, this character is going to be able to see the wisdom of this hope and is going to have this sure confidence and know how to live the way forward. And so this chain of sequence of events, it, it's not maybe too simply uh, overdone or simplified to say something like this. In this scenario, you don't just choose comfort, like having the good status. 
having all these people think, yeah, you're this or that. But instead, it's not about comfort, but it's about a character. A character that conforms to Christ's character. And that becomes the new standard. And so Paul says, yes, I even boast now in this. The cross not only will do me good when I one day see God in His glory, the cross does me good even now. And even now, I can bear the hardships that come my way with the confidence that they will not break me or destroy me, but they'll form in me the character of Christ and give to me the clarity of vision to see His destiny. I, I can't substantiate it just from this passage, although I can if I took the time to read some more out of Romans with you, but I would just do this for me. Hear this as my witness. If we read this text more fully and more widely, we could understand something like this, that Paul's sense of, uh, of suffering is not just that suffering's worthwhile bearing up now, although he believes that, uh, that the price that we'll receive one day, the prize that we'll receive one day, the glory that we'll know one day will far exceed anything that we'll suffer now. But glory is even more mysterious than that for Paul. And Paul is willing to suffer, not just because he thinks one day, if he suffers now, he'll know the glory of God in the future. He celebrates and boasts in the suffering because he thinks if he can suffer with a testimony to Christ's faithfulness, he can add glory and testimony and honor to the true glory of God. The way he lives now, can be part of the glory that he one day witnesses when he sees God face to face. And dear ones, I want us to acknowledge this good and wonderful news. There's so much in the passage we could go on a long time. We, we won't take long. I just would stress this for you. Notice this. One of the things that Paul goes on about when he begins to reflect upon the goodness of God and why this glory and this destiny is secure in us, he sees, first of all, that there's a present experience that confirms the story that we've given ourselves to and the place where we've placed our honor and our dignity and our status. For one, he says, look at this, the Holy Spirit is working in me now pouring into my heart the love of God. Paul goes on, we should also glory, we should also boast in the great hope of the gospel and the hope of the glory of God. We should boast as well because of, of the grandeur and the wonder of this, of this grace that we've been shown. He thinks of it this way, you know, it's not some deal that we made. It's not like we nodded or shook hands with God and said, oh, yeah, you do that and I'll do this. No, no, we weren't somehow partners along the way. We woke up from our sleep and our slumber. We were unable. We were so damaged by the, the wrongdoing that we have known that has pressed in on us and that we've contributed to ourselves. We didn't even have a leg to stand on. We couldn't even work this on our own. We had no native ability to reform ourselves. We were unable. 
But God still loved us. In fact, we find that his love has to precede our response. And, and this is really consistent through the Bible. Uh, way back in Exodus, uh, right before the Ten Commandments are given, there's a special covenant commandment and ceremony where the people of God enter into this covenant and God spells it out to them. This is not some sort of deal. In other words, it's not, you do this and, and I'll sign a covenant with you. I've already done the work of the covenant. I've already brought you out of Egypt. I've already done the saving work. Now you be my people. And in the similar way now, Paul reflects upon the gospel. And you were on the outs with God. You didn't have the ability to turn to God on your own. You were enemies with God. And you were now failing to meet the glory of God. And you were heading for the shame of disaster to never become what you were created to be and end up in great peril. Death was seizing you and reigning over you. But God still loved you. And while you were sinners, Christ died for you. And in the mystery of what he does, justified by his blood, he says later in this passage, in the mystery of what God has done for us on the cross, he has sent this son, and God the Father sent his son and made peace so we don't bear the wrath of God. We will bear the glory and fellowship with God is our destiny. And this new reality changes everything about the way we look and everything about the way we are. In a way, I think shame and honor still make sense of so much of what we do. But when you do what you do, I want you to ask, who's your audience? Who are you trying to save face before, right? Who are you trying to please? Who's the one or the group whose image of you matters so much that you'll change everything about the way you behave? And Paul says, in light of the gospel, I've seen too much about His goodness and His grace. It's unthinkable. When we were unable and worthy, and before we could ever turn to Him, God has offered this grace to us, made this grace and reconciliation a reality that we could receive. And Paul is overwhelmed. Now, our dignity and our true honor is restored. And you and I, by knowing Him and celebrating in Him, boasting, if you will, but only boasting in Him, not boasting in the law. Paul uses that in very negative terms in this letter. Not in your own strategy for your own sense of identity and, and the own cre creation of ourselves that we would build on our own. Not, none of that. But the idea and the identity that God has for you, where we could be people who could be drawn into His fellowship and drawn into the glory of God, that changes everything. I um, received a wonderful uh, note from your former pastor, Bonnie Melton, and um, he shared with me a, a couple of stories along the way uh, of the church, and some that uh, took place before his time here. And one of them I, I just thought was so remarkable and so wonderful. And I'd like to share it with you if I could. Um, it was a story about a deliberation the church uh, was facing some many years ago. This is 
before the time of the civil rights movement uh, really got its steam and so on, very, very early. I've heard maybe as early as 1960, I'm not certain, but that's some memory. And in this del deliberation, the church was deliberating its stance toward receiving and now let me get this right. I want to be fair to this church. It's my understanding that you have a, a fairly a good record on these matters, and you've dealt on these matters of racial reconciliation, re, uh, receiving a, a black members for a, a long, long time faithfully. But as I, as I recall the details of the story, it was particularly a, a worrisome event that some might be coming just as a measure to calculate what would happen if they came without the intent of really joining. And there was a question about how would you receive such a person? And a lady named Christine Kastrup, some of you know her, remember her, right? I get a nod or two, um, was present in that deliberation. And uh, she voiced a concern for what carried uh, broadly, as I'm told, in the deliberation, that no matter what the purpose might have been, we have to have the posture of receiving and welcoming uh, every person who would come. Uh, she made her argument, though, by a, a very compelling, compelling thing. Uh, and I'm told this embarrassed her son that was with her that evening. But she made her case by eventually standing up and singing the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. And you might remember, eventually, that song gets around to Jesus Loves the Little Children, all the children of the world. The lyrics of that song are not perhaps as sensitive uh, to these uh, days and uh, folks uh, who might be hearing these days, but I would just go on to say to you, something was very right about our sister's sense. Uh, her courage to sing, embarrassing her son, may, as it might have done, uh, was sort of an overwhelming moment in the deliberation and brought a clarity to everything. Who do we please? Who do we want to be like? Who, who do we care about? Who do we put our stock in? Whose opinion about us matters, finally? And just simply with the testimony. Jesus loves the children. He loves all the children in the world. And the, and the church heard that witness. I'm told she was a wonderful um, a person who contributed and, and at times led the efforts in WMU at, in this church. And the notions of getting things right and being, letting Jesus be our guide and, and wanting to look right in his eyes, that's the motive behind missions as well, right? It's the motive behind everything we do right in the church. And so I, I want to say to you, I want us to live our lives with the right set of values, with the right judge in mind, 
with the right jury in mind. I want to make my case and plead my case and live out my life with this image to impress, yes, but not just the people around me, because they may not know about the grace of God at all. But I will stand shoulder and shoulder with other people who want to please Christ most of all. And that's got to be who I am. And that's what Paul is saying. And Paul sees it clearly. You know, I'm going to boast. What am I going to boast in? I'm going to boast in the hope that is dismal and as much of a failure and as sick and sin and disorientation as I was that I have now restored in me the hope of one day sharing in the glory that God's going to share with me and seeing him in my destiny. That's who I am. I'll boast now, if it brings me hardship, I'll boast now in the suffering because I know that what I do now in faithfulness to God, I don't have to worry. It may bring me down in somebody else's eyes. It may bring judgment upon me. Do you realize how many Christians around the world this day are suffering terribly because they do what we do. They come to the church. They lose status. They are injured. They have social injury. They lose social mobility. Sometimes they they lose health care. They are in real harm and peril. They come. They, They want their lives, even lived in hardship, to be a witness they're not just trying to just please jesus although that's the big goal the way they suffer they're trying to do it like jesus did you see and not seek comfort but seek conformity to who he is and then when they stop to marvel like paul did on the goodness of the gospel we were nowhere We were on the outs. We were on the wrong team heading to the wrong uh, destination, the wrong bus. We were measuring ourselves by a whole different set of rules, trying to do this on our own terms. And we were going nowhere. We were going to incur the wrath of God. But by the grace of God, he didn't count our inability. But he poured out his love for us in Jesus Christ. And he's made us whole. And now, already now, and by the way, the three senses of salvation, right? It has happened. It is happening to us. And one day it will happen in fullness. They're all here in this wonderful passage. We already know and we already stand in a peace with God. And that, my dear friends... is worth boasting about. And that I, if, if I can, in the liberty that God has given me and worked in me through the Spirit of God He's placed in me, share and act like Jesus and share in His glory, that should be enough. He's my Lord. He's the audience. And I should be worried where I stand with him because he's done so much for me.